This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 27. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. This guy is, should not be president, period. And when you say that, folks on Fox come after you. I remember the Tonys when he got up there and cursed. A lot of Fuck criticism em. of you. Fuck him. Okay, well, you know, this is cable, Sorry. so it's not an FCC violation, Sorry. but it is still a Sunday morning. Well, I we're, do wonder we're why you choose of, to go that let way. Let me say something. Why do you we choose are to go a, that we way? We are at a moment in our life, in this country, where this guy is like a gangster. He's come along and he's said things, done things we say over and over again. This is terrible. We're in a terrible situation. We're in a terrible situation, and this guy just keeps going on and on and on without being stopped. We are in a terrible situation. America is in a terrible situation. And that was Robert De Niro, of course, on CNN this weekend with Brian Stelter. And De Niro nailed it. He's made a career of nailing it. And his words, many of his words, have never been more timely. You took your first pace like a man, and you learned the two greatest things in life. Well... Look at me. Never ran on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. That's good advice right now for people in the White House. But it's advice they're not heeding. They are ratting out their friends. They're not keeping their mouth shut. The president, most of all. He's run his mouth and runs his mouth recklessly, ruthlessly, uncontrollably. And now, now, it may have finally caught up to him. Impeachment is here. 5445, what does that mean? It's a slogan. It's from the... Uh, Remember the main. Yeah, that's from... That's got to be from... Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. No, that's not... Uh, well, they're war slogans, Mr. Morse. Uh, we remember the slogans. We can't even remember the fucking wars. You know why? Why? It's show business. Uh-huh. That's why we're here. I see. Naked girl, covered in napalm. V for victory. Five Marines raising the flag. Mount Suribachi. Mm-hmm. You remember the picture 50 years from now, you'll have forgotten the war. Sure. The Gulf War, smart bomb falling down the chimney, 2,500 missions a day, 100 days. One video of one bomb, Mr. Moss. The American people bought that war. Mm-hmm. War is show business. War is show business on many levels, it's true. Especially now. And so is politics. Maybe more than any other time in American history, politics is show business. And the worst kind of show business reality show business. It's not Goodfellas. It's not Godfather 2. It's not Raging Bull. It's not even Little Fockers. No. It's the Jersey Shore. It's The Apprentice. And now, it's Judge Judy. Our politics is about to become the most watched courtroom drama reality TV show of all time. And Nancy Pelosi is kind of like Judge Judy. And the American people, they're watching now. And the American people will be the real jury. President Donald Trump 
is about to face the toughest audience of his life. What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in a California municipal court. Both parties have agreed to dismiss their court cases and have their dispute settled here in our forum, the People's Court. Donald Trump is about to face the People's Court. And they're ready for the trial. The trial of our reality show president. It's coming. And it's coming fast. This is not a coming attraction. This is the feature. And it's going to be a box office smash. Certain to dominate attention and be the subject of conversation around every water cooler in America. Do they still have water coolers? I don't know. Starbucks lines, maybe? But it's the reality show that everyone will be talking about. But it's not a happy story. And it's not a good movie. It's a terrible movie. It's a movie about the worst president we've ever had, the most corrupt president we've ever had, and one of the darkest times in America we've ever had. It's not Avatar. It's not Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. It's a horror movie. It's Halloween meets It meets The Shining meets Get Out. Or maybe it's a reality movie about a horrible time like a documentary about a dark, dark time. It's Hearts and Minds or Ken Burns' Civil War or maybe Ken Burns' Vietnam. But it's not a movie. It's our reality. It's sad. And it's unfolding all around us by the minute. It's not Gilead from Handmaid's Tale yet, but for a while... It was looking more and more like it was going in that direction. So, given that reality, and the overwhelming intersection of entertainment and politics, who better to talk to than Commander Lawrence himself? Yep, the mastermind of the dystopian future of America, who also happens to be Josh Lyman, the White House Deputy Chief of Staff from the legendary political drama The West Wing. One man has played those two defining roles, in two of the most politically impactful shows of all time. Bradley Whitford, the great Bradley Whitford, is our guest in this episode. And like all our guests on this show, Bradley Whitford is an inspiring, important, and iconic American. He's a man who starred in two of the most enlightening, insightful, and important shows in American history. A man who shaped our understanding of politics through the lens of entertainment. A man who's also been himself on the inside of politics and activism, beyond his roles in movies and shows that have earned him three Emmys, his most recent one just last week for his brilliant role in The Handmaid's Tale. But just two years ago, he was nominated for Transparent, another widely praised and culturally impactful show, one about a Los Angeles family and their life following the discovery that their father, Mort, is a trans woman named Mora. He was also in Get Out, Billy Madison, Philadelphia, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Oh yeah, he was also in Adventures in Babysitting. We'll have a fun story about that to get into. We'll also get into his lifetime of activism, from growing up in Wisconsin as a Quaker, to sparring with Sarah Huckabee, to serving on the board of advisors of Let America Vote, an organization that was founded by former Missouri Secretary of State, Afghanistan veteran, and a friend of mine, Jason Kander. It's an organization that aims to end voter suppression. 
Bradley doesn't just play politics. He lives it. And he knows that this is a precarious time in American history where the two are merging and morphing in ways we've never seen before. That's coming up next. Along with some action you can take in your community, some very special thank yous, and a new way for you to sound off about what you're angry about. So strap in, folks. This is a 4D movie where you can smell the sounds and feel the shakes in your seat. It's 100 degrees in Washington, D.C. this week and 90 degrees in New York in October. And Greta's somewhere in Sweden thinking, I told you so. But GM is still on strike. WeWork just collapsed. A trade war with China is pounding manufacturing. And the Dow just plunged more than 450 points. It's a hell of a way to start the fourth quarter, which altogether is increasing concern that we may be heading into a recession. So this movie is fully interactive. It's unfolding all around us, and it's infuriating. There's plenty in America that has me angry, that has many others angry, and should have everyone angry. Maybe more than any other week since we launched this show with more and more being revealed by the minute. But before we get into our conversation with Bradley Whitford, fresh off his Emmy win, there are a few issues you need to know about or know more about that are impacting our country in critical ways. And maybe the biggest story of all is that America is angry, really angry. I've been waiting for months to play this, but this is finally the time. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! That's, of course, the scene from the 1976 film Network. But it's what countless Americans are thinking this week. Support for impeaching President Donald Trump is growing. Fast. Impeachment is really gaining steam. And poll after poll is showing it. A new Politico morning consult poll showed that for the first time, more voters support than oppose proceedings to remove Trump from office. That's a big deal. The deeper we dig, the more time they have in power, the more reasons there will probably be to impeach. Beyond being wrong and arrogant, this administration is just sloppy as hell. And... America sees it. In that poll, 46% of voters said Congress should begin impeachment proceedings versus 43% who said they should not. 11% had no opinion. I don't know who the hell those people are. But that support represented a three-point bump just in the last week when voters were evenly split. The increase is primarily among Democrats. Republican voters surveyed continue to have Trump's back. But that's also changing. Senator Collins, the country is in crisis. The President of the United States has requested foreign interference in American elections to benefit himself politically. President Trump asked his Ukrainian counterpart to investigate his political foe, Joe Biden. This is an abuse of power by the chief executive of our country. He won't stop unless Republicans like you stand up and say that it's wrong. Senator Collins, your voice is critical. Stand up for the country and stand up for the rule of law. That's a new $1 million ad campaign from a group called Republicans for the Rule of Law. 
This week, that ad started hitting Republican members in their home states and districts. The ad slams Trump's abuse of power and warns that it won't stop unless Republicans stand up and say it's wrong. They describe themselves as a group of lifelong Republicans dedicated to defending the institutions of our republic and upholding the rule of law. They say they're fighting to ensure that the law applies equally to everyone, from average citizens to the President of the United States. They say they believe in fidelity to the Constitution, transparency, and the independence of prosecutors from politics. Trump critic Bill Kristol is the co-director. Other leaders include Linda Chavez, who served in the Reagan administration, and Christy Todd Whitman, who served as EPA administrator under President George W. Bush and told me and everyone else at 9-11 that the air was fine. But nevertheless, their first targets are the Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr, a Republican from North Carolina, Senator Susan Collins of Maine, also a Republican, and Senator Lamar Alexander from Tennessee, another Republican. And for Trump, the ratings, something he cares about so deeply, are getting worse fast. A new CNBC poll showed that Trump's job approval rating dropped six points to 37, the lowest approval of his presidency. Approval of his handling of the economy dropped 13 points to 42, marking only the second time Trump has been underwater on the economy. And the independents are starting to move too. But more than the polls, what matters right now is what's right and wrong. The American public is not stupid. They're often slow or focused on other things, but they're not stupid. And leaders must lead, regardless of what the polls say, especially now. Concern about Trump, and more importantly, action focused on stopping him, is finally becoming a nonpartisan issue. The dam is breaking, and it could break even more quickly, especially if he keeps talking. But basically, that person never saw the report, never saw the call, really never saw the call, heard something, and decided that he or she, whoever the hell it is, sort of like almost a spy. I want to know who's the person that gave the whistleblower, who's the person that gave the whistleblower the information, because that's close to a spy. You know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart, right? The spies and treason. We used to handle it a little differently than we do now. <laughs> So that's our president, if you missed it, ripping a whistleblower in a private meeting with UN staff, calling the whistleblower almost a spy. That's not how any American with power should speak, especially not our commander in chief. It's not just chilling, it's damning, and it's indefensible. And after this week, we'll all see which leaders put politics and party ahead of their country. We'll see who the real patriots are. Watch this space. Don't turn the channel on this one. But flipping the channel over the 2020 elections for an update, here's a few quick items of note. Democrats seem to have kept a pause on their regular eating of their own to finally focus on Trump and keep the focus on him and his impeachment. It does seem like a little more than a ceasefire. It might actually be a unification of forces, which would be smart politics and smart policy. They've all gone from attacking Joe Biden just a few weeks ago to now defending him and his son Hunter from smears and baseless accusations from Trump. They actually seem to be wearing the same colored jersey for once. Maybe they're taking a page from the Cleveland Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield. 
who was recently called irrelevant by the jobless former Jets and Bills head coach and noted overrated loudmouth, Rex Ryan. Remember him? Well, here's what Baker had to say. In the, in the wise words of Freddie Kitchens, if you don't wear orange and brown, you don't matter. And Rex Ryan doesn't have any colors right now for a reason, so it's okay. So the Dems are trying to play together and work together and to be maybe more like the Patriots and less like the Dolphins. Attacks can be a good unifier. Crisis can be too. In breaking news this week, Bernie Sanders has canceled all events until further notice after being hospitalized. During a campaign event, Senator Sanders was experiencing chest pain, and following a medical evaluation and testing, it was found that he has a blockage in one artery and two stents were successfully inserted. But Sanders is coming off the campaign trail. His campaign aides say he's in good spirits and he's conversing and he's going to be resting up over the next few days, but they've canceled all his events and all his appearances until further notice. Now, Sanders is 78 years old, which underscores that age will be an issue for 2020. And it probably should be. You can't be a candidate or an effective president if you're in the hospital or if you're dead. And running for president and being president ain't exactly a relaxing stint at a spa. It's a kind of job that can kill you. So in my view, age and even more so health are really an issue. And if you look at the field, Biden is 76. Trump is 73. But for some, it's not an issue. Elizabeth Warren is 70. Did you know Pelosi is 79? Yeah, she's 79 years old and she's kicking some major ass right now. But you know who's also in their 70s and back kicking some ass? I finally came home. Uncle Dad! To defend the only family I've ever known. Yep. Rambo's back. And he's 70 fucking three. And so since we're talking about the intersection of entertainment and politics, I got to share with you that Rambo is back. And this week I talked to NBC News and their reporter Ethan Sachs about it because it's really more than just another action flick. Rambo has been kind of a political chew toy over the years. With the new release of Rambo Last Blood, Stallone goes back to playing the haunted veteran who can't seem to avoid killing no matter how hard he tries to be left alone. This time, he's battling a violent Mexican cartel that kidnapped his beloved niece. So whether it's sex traffickers or the Soviets or intolerant small-town cops, Rambo sometimes remains a sympathetic underdog for moviegoers, regardless of how many people he kills. Now, Rambo's been loved by liberals and by conservatives. He's been seen by liberals as a rebuke against conservative society, and he's been seen by Reagan-era conservatives as a stalwart against communism. And he's also been seen as a stereotype to veterans like me, and maybe a cathartic symbol about how the country untreated veterans for far too long. And remember, Rambo started out as a vet, just home from Vietnam and struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. And he was against some small town Southern police chief who was himself a veteran of the Korean War, who mistaked him for a vagrant. This simple understanding, way back in first blood, leads to a showdown that leaves dozens dead and dooms them both. Bullets fly, explosions happen. Now, before it was a movie, First Blood was a book, and it's never been out of print in the 47 years since it was created. It's been translated into 30 languages and actually taught in classrooms. It took about a decade, but Rambo eventually made it to the big screen. 
with Stallone out in front. The perfect combination of physicality and box office sparkle coming off the first two Rocky movies. Now, the author of First Blood, David Morrell, has said that the popularity of the book and film helped change the way the American public, particularly those who opposed war, viewed members of the armed forces. Morrell thinks that the film helped persuade audiences to see unpopular wars as having people who create the wars and others who are forced to fight them. But I don't see it that way. Rambo's not a hero to most vets or to most civilians. Unfortunately for an entire generation, Rambo unfairly defined the identity of a Vietnam veteran. People literally call it the Rambo stereotype. For decades, we've been trying to combat the image of a broken, damaged, violent person. And it's an image that got compounded in Vietnam movie after Vietnam movie in the late 70s and 80s, like Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket. If you don't remember, in Rambo 2, he gets sent back to Vietnam to save a crew of prisoners of war. The covert operations being geared up in the Far East. Your name was dug out by the computer as one of three most able to complete the mission. Mission? Recon for POWs in NAM. Why now? Why me? Prison camp you escaped from at 71 is a target area. Nobody knows that terrain better than you do. The risk factor is very high. You'd be temporarily reinstated in the forces, and if the mission's successful, there may be a presidential pardon. You interested? Yeah. Sir, do we get to win this time? This time it's up to you. So suddenly, Rambo became kind of a conservative icon, a hero that got name-checked by then-President Reagan, who was talking about what he would do in the event of another Iranian hostage crisis. Check this out. I'm reminded of a recent, very popular movie. And in the spirit of Rambo, let me tell you, we're going to win this time. Third movie, Rambo 3, three years later, came out and pitted Rambo against the Russians in Afghanistan. Most critics consider it the worst of the franchise. I would agree. But maybe we could use Rambo's help now with both of those situations, Russia, Afghanistan. Well, in 2008, Rambo was back for a fourth time with Rambo, who put him back as the haunted outcast he was in the first movie. This time, his enemies were sadistic gorillas in Myanmar. Not too many people went to see that one. Maybe after 9-11, people weren't too interested in Myanmar or Rambo. Well, now he's back for a fifth tour of duty with Rambo Last Blood. And his enemy this time? Mexican drug dealers. Much more timely, of course, right? In the film, he tells his niece during the calm before the storm, I haven't changed. I just put a lid on it. That's my really bad Stallone. Well, he put a lid on it. Kind of like America, maybe. We haven't changed. We still love to mix our politics and our entertainment. And our entertainment and our politics. Yep. Rambo's 73 years old. Stallone is 73 years old. And no matter how you feel about Rambo, you kind of got to respect his lasting power. I've said it before that, you know, you could be lucky for a couple of years, but if you have a long career, and I try to tell my children that, it's a long race. Life is a long race. And if you're still in the race after all these years, it means a lot more than, you know, for a short time. So this one is Rambo's last hurrah. I hope. Just like I hope it's Trump's. He hasn't changed either. He just put a lid on it. And that lid 
it's flying off into the stratosphere like the latest North Korean missile test. Oh, yeah. You probably missed that one. North Korea tested a medium-range missile this week. It was fired from a launcher placed on a floating barge off the coast of the country. As I've repeatedly warned, the more America is divided and distracted, the more enemies will test us. The more enemies will look to attack, the more America will be exposed. This is no movie. This shit is real life. And Trump hoped to be like Ronald Reagan, making a successful leap that translated into the greatest party to ever play. Well, no part Reagan ever played as an actor was as big or as good as the one he played as president. And for Trump, no reality show has been more revealing, more telling, more disgusting. More and more by the minute. By the time you finish listening to this podcast, there will likely be another new crazy news story, another ridiculous new tweet, or another frightening new overseas threat. Fact and fiction are blurring together. Our news is real. Our news is fake. Our president is real. Our president is fake. Our threats are real. Our threats are fake. And it's 90 degrees in New York in October. What the fuck? Our movies and our TV are not just our escape anymore. They're our reality. And they're all over our politics, like butter on your popcorn at the movies. With some raisinets or M&Ms tossed inside. And maybe with the threat of an occasional razor blade. Yep. It's fucking crazy out there. And in this episode, we're going to get into all of it with one of the most recognized, one of the most beloved, one of the most outspoken actors of our time. And at a time of madness and heat, we're going to bring you some great stories, some smart perspective, and most of all, some light. Bradley Whitford is right now defining our culture just like he has for almost four decades. More than any news program, any political attack ad, any PBS documentary, or any C-SPAN testimony, Bradley's work has reached deep into homes all across America and all around the world to define the American political experience, to educate people, and to sound an alarm on what we could become. Bradley's a great American success story. He's a damn fine actor. He's also an activist and a patriot. And like so many of us, he's an angry American. And just like the rest of us, he has good reason to be angry and he's going to share it and much more. We're going to go forward and back through entertainment and politics with one of the finest actors of our time. And we're doing it with some reruns of the very best of the four eyes. It's a C.J. Craig of integrity. It's a Josh Lyman of information. It's a Leo McGarry of impact. And a Charlie Young of inspiration. At a time when the White House seems to be on fire and increasingly spinning away into chaos, we're taking a walk back with a guy who was there in simpler times and has been there with all of us for an entire generation of American politics, past, present, and future. This show is a place where entertainment and politics collide. This is a place that will still bring you some inspiration. And no matter what happens in Washington, there is still hope. There is still a road forward. There is still a way out. 
So don't let the bastards get you down. Change is coming. Blessed be the fruit. This is Angry Americans, episode 27. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ladies and gentlemen, Angry Americans Everywhere, (laughs) a captivating, exciting, and very timely guest has joined us here today at the Classic Car Club (laughs) in Manhattan, and is the first guest who's ever arrived with a license plate in his hand, the great and powerful... This Bradley is, Whitford is here. Thank, thank you, you thank my you. friend, I'm for joining to us. Be here. Wonderful to have you here. But you walked in with a license plate. I in walked your in hand. with a license plate. A, uh, I was in Adventures in Babysitting in 1938, and uh, a fan, my character, a fan, just handed me this. And I have to go to the theater after this, and I don't want to walk around uh, with uh, uh, my own merch. So I want to give this to you. I want you to Thank have this. Thank you. You were the first guest, I think, to ever give me to ever give, a gift. Uh, to ever give you a gift. And, and, um, maybe and if we, the fan who gave me that happens to see this, I, I apologize. I just, uh, uh, I'll have to get another. Well, we'll, do, well maybe we'll, we'll, we'll give it to a fan of this show and keep the giving circle yeah. going. Do you have a, a contest idea that we can propose to the angry Americans everywhere? Uh, uh, to win that? Yeah. Uh, I don't the know. The best answer to a question. And the question is? Well, it would have to be, you know, what makes you angry, wouldn't it? The, the best answer from the audience about that? Your license plate, man. You yeah. can dictate the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This okay. is Trump's America. There are no the rules you anymore. Can judge. <laughs> oh, God. I can't take it. So, first of all, I want to thank you for coming. It's thank a very you. busy time for you. I, I want to congratulate you on the Emmy. Thank you. An incredible achievement. And I mean that. I am a huge fan, but and also consider you a long-distance friend. Yes. Um, but before we get into all that, I ask everyone to choose what they would like to drink. Well, yes. And, and that's a, an, an insight into who you are. But uh, you very, very, without reluctance, chose a bourbon. Yeah, initially a Diet Coke. I'll probably hit the bourbon late uh, because it always makes me laugh. Like if you do uh, the Bill Maher show, they're always back there like pushing liquor on you. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Only only liquor when you went? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's after (laughs) the show. Let's talk about that. That's after the show. Uh, But um, like here's a piece of career advice. Don't uh, drink a bunch of booze and... Uh, get on TV and talk about politics. It's probably not a great idea. <laughs> Hasn't stopped a lot of others. No, right? No, no. But, I, but I, let I, me ask you, you Diet Coke, yeah. uh, which is in part necessary because as we were coming in, I asked you, how many interviews have you done so far today before this one? I've done, tw- uh, I think it's 27 I did today. Uh, you go into a room and they do a satellite thing and you talk to, you know, Memphis, Madison, 
um, all over the country because this TV show is coming out uh, tomorrow night. Uh, so it's a big push. Uh, I did a thing at the AP. I did some digital thing. It's a lot of yammering about myself. Do you get to talk about politics and things that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, or it's, is it just you know you limited to quick hits before commercial breaks? And you know, my publicist yeah. always worries about I worry about it. I think the last time we were in the room together was at Colbert's last show. Shit, I think. But I was on Colbert's new show, and um, this was right before the election. And, um, uh, I got out there and I was a little bit, uh, nervous and flustered. He said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, my, my publicist just called me and said, don't talk about politics. <laughs> and he said, could you help it? And I said, no. Uh, and I ended up, uh, standing on the chair, uh, and, uh, declaring that Trump was, uh, a racist. Is is that groundbreaking? Is that a groundbreaking pronouncement? No, uh, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't to me, but uh, I don't know why we've uh, accepted all we have accepted <laughs> uh, uh, and normalized with him. But um, you know, I, I found the whole birther thing just completely unforgivable. On, on that on that issue, though, because I did a whole monologue on why Trump is a racist and why it's bad for America. It's bad for the world. It's bad for our national security. It's bad for our future. But, um, there, I, I, I was, I was really thoughtful about it. I said, you know, I am, before I make this statement in this way, I'm going to write it. I'm going to think about yeah, it. Yeah. It's a big and, word. It, it's it, a is, big it is a big word and I don't, you know, take it lightly. I also think it's appropriate, but was that the first time you said it in public? Uh, yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, I, I, look, I was in acting school here in New York uh, in the early 80s. Uh, back then, there was this completely narcissistic sociopath buzzing around New York. My buddies who were doing construction, you knew you did not work for this guy because, because he wouldn't pay you. It's why he got, you know, 5% of the vote here. If you know him, you quickly come to the conclusion that he is incapable that, that that he's just an unmoored narcissist. And it's always funny to me because um, I've been somebody who's talked about politics um, uh, my whole public life, and you are often told, uh, you know, to shut up because you're, you're an uninformed celebrity. And now the people who told me to shut up are, like, worshiping like a demigod you know, the most uninformed celebrity who ever, who ever uh, 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 put pancake on their face. Uh, Do you remember the first time you met him? Because you, you've operated in, you know, you're, you, you're, you're living a, an interesting life. You're, I was, you're, I do you're coming in different circles. I do want to come back to the Colbert show, uh, the yeah, Colbert yeah, Report yeah. final show, because that, I've had some weird kind of Forrest Gump moments over the last 15 years of my life that might have been among the weirdest. But before we come to that, oh, did yeah. you, did you, do you remember meeting Trump? I in, remember in, in your I journey? went to, um, I forget, I, I, I think it was a Tyson fight in Atlantic City when he was with Marla Maples. Uh, I remember he was wearing a pink tie uh, and just, you know, sort of strode into the room, but he was a dismissible joke. I, I think there's a key to understanding this guy and a key to understanding 
his appeal, which has something to do with the aesthetics of professional wrestling, which he really dug. Uh, there's the spray tan. There's the insane hair. There's hot chicks wandering around. And there is uh, uh, a constant, you know, outrageous accusations. And he has to have an enemy. You know, Omar, the squad, like he's like he's got his enemy, just like the Middle Eastern uh, characters were, you know, were, were the were the enemies, you the know, iron, the, the Iron yeah. Sheik, the Iron and Nikolai Sheik. Volkov was the Russian but enemy, right? I think what is so confusing to me watching people support him, I think it's I, and I don't mean this in a condescending way. I think that there people interpret him him with a similar suspension of disbelief yet uh, uh, allegiance that you do at a wrestling match well, uh, watchability too yeah you're watching it in the same way you're watching you know nascar for a car crash you want to see where this goes and what crazy shit he's gonna say right yeah look the unfortunate truth of the world have you ever read i urge everybody to to read uh, there's a book uh, called amusing ourselves to death um, it's public discourse in the age of television. It was written 30 years ago, but it talks about how, and now we have a, a president whose greatest qualification was he was a schmuck on TV, which is not impressive to me. <laughs> uh, it seems like a pretty low bar, but uh, the, the, uh, the aesthetics of television and the things you need to hold viewers uh, it is it is a lot more interesting uh, to uh, to see a smart bomb hit its target than it is to see a child's mind be opened. It's not great TV, mm. uh, which is you know why our missiles. One of the reasons why our missiles are shinier than our schools, <laughs> um, and the things. Uh, it's part of the reason I think that we are so polarized now um, uh, in a way that feels artificial. And I know part of what, what you're getting at is people who don't want to be part of this this uh, uh, polarized uh, paradigm. But part of the things that drives it is, you know, if you're watching Anderson Cooper and you're talking about healthcare, you want uh, – their nightmare – is that somebody goes, wow, that's a really interesting point. Let me think about that. <laughs> that is terrible TV, and that is what what we need. And these television so, – so Anderson Cooper will have a very predictable single-payer guy. He'll have, you know, a libertarian dude, uh, you know, who says let the market take care of it. Uh, they will be encouraged. You've done these shows. Uh, they encourage theatrical disagreement. Um, yeah. and I think it's part of the, part of the reason, uh, that, you know, that we're here in this, um, uh, predicament that it feels kind of dire. Now I can't imagine having fought for this country and having, uh, uh, a commander in chief, um, uh, who so flippantly avoided, uh, his, his own service, uh, uh, and I'm always confused by the, uh, there is a lot, a, a majority of support in the military for this guy. 
So I'm turning, well, that, I'm turning yeah. it around. Explain well, that's it to a me. little misleading. I, I think I think that veterans are often stereotyped. I was on a radio show yesterday, and I talked about how there are only a couple groups of people that are still generally accepted. It's, it's accepted that you can stereotype them. It's generally Muslims, uh, veterans of the military, overweight people, and crazy people. Like yes. You can call somebody crazy. You can call somebody fat. You can still get away in some circles with stereotyping Muslims, but also stereotyping veterans that, yes, they're, that they're all crazy or that they all, you know, love guns or that they all are Republicans. So they're, I think, a very misunderstood monolith. And there are 20 million people that are extremely diverse. But the demographics in that community, like everywhere, I believe, demographics are destiny in politics. Right. And there's a disproportionate number of old white men. Old white men in America tend to be Republican. So that group of people tends to vote for Trump. Right. But the younger people under 25 are more you know, gender diverse, ethnically diverse, politically diverse. And what we've seen over time is the largest growth is among independents and unaffiliateds. Wow. There, there's always a strong libertarian uh, connection in the military. Republicans... Are, are, I think, uh, you know, still the highest percentage, but the, the, the largest growing percentage is independents and unaffiliated. Oh, and I think they, they do feel like there's a, this is my read, that they do hold true to the values of this country. They, they're kind of, a, a friend of mine once said, if America was a religion, our military is the clergy. Right. They view themselves as, as the protectors. As the keepers. Of, of yeah. The keepers of, of the flame especially in times like this. So I think that's often, you know, misunderstood, but he takes it for granted and the politicization of the military I've talked about at length and I think is, yeah, is awful and one of maybe the most insidious things about what he's done. But, but Bradley, when you go back to where you started, right? Yes. You grew up in Wisconsin. Yeah, I was, and, uh, here's my deal. Yeah. I, I'm in a, a weird family situation, a wonderful uh, uh, a privileged, lovely, weird family situation. My parents would be a uh, hundred and five, almost six. Uh, my parents had three kids, a huge break. Uh, my brother, the mistake, and I am the mistake's friend. <laughs> um, and so my parents, my mom was 46 when I was born, which was bizarre back then. Um, and, uh, I was born in Madison when I was about uh, three years old. I moved, uh, outside of Philly and then back to Madison for high school. So I don't know. I think, I, I think of high school, I, uh, uh, I loved being in Madison. I loved it. I loved it there. That's a great place. And then you went, I said earlier, to one of the other little threes. Yes, I went to Amherst College. You went, you and went to Amherst. Williams and you Where went to- Where did you grow what, up? I grew up in just outside of Peekskill, upstate New York. Uh, okay. Yeah. And nobody knew where Amherst was on a map, and I had to explain it. But I thought about going to Wesleyan, where you went. Yes. Which is also known for a variety of things, including being the place where Bill Belichick came from. Yes. Right? Bill Belichick, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yep. Yeah. And God's was, range. And, and was <laughs> and was kind of known as uh, Diversity University. Yeah. It was kind of the, the little Ivy's version of Brown, right? Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, a pretty, yeah. But, but also a politically... Woke place, right? Yeah, like yeah, a very, yeah, yeah. A very yeah, it, it dynamic was, and diverse place, probably ahead of its time in many yes, ways, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, uh, and it was a fantastic, it was, it, it was a fantastic place for me to be. Um, uh, they turn out these sort of, a, a lot of wonderful storytellers. Uh, Joss Wheaton, you know, Lynn Miranda, the guys who invented uh, Blue Man Group. Uh, it's like this, interesting 
mix and all the theater work that you do there was sort of self-generated. And then I went to uh, to Juilliard uh, for four years, which is a difficult thing to explain to your father after you've gone to college for four years. Uh, and I explained to him that it, it, to think of it as sort of medical school with guaranteed unemployment at the end. Um, Did he visit Wesleyan? Did what? Did your father visit Wesleyan? Yeah. Because then he wouldn't realize it's not that different from Juilliard, right? Yeah. I remember my dad came to some experimental piece of theater that that we did. Uh, and my father was always very supportive, but he was like, I have no idea what that was all about. Like, he just didn't get it at I all. have a really short Wesleyan story I'll share yeah, with you. So me. I played football. And every other year we played at Wesleyan. And I think it was my junior year we played at Wesleyan. It was always a tight game. And I was playing tight end. We were in the huddle on this beautiful campus. And there's it's a beautiful. hill in the back with these classical buildings. Yes. And we're in the huddle. And at some point, the whistle blows. And one of the guys next to me goes, holy shit, look at that. And we look over. And over the hill come about six, seven people, men and women, completely naked, <laughs> with helmets on. Hockey <laughs> helmets, football helmets, Halloween masks. They run down the hill, and as they're running down the hill, we know what's going to happen because this happens all the time. They're coming for us. The field is, is frozen. The fans are frozen. And a bunch of naked people, men and women, are running toward us, like through the end zone, toward like the 50 where we're in the huddle. Welcome and to one Wesley. of the guys next to me is like, I'm going to fucking tackle him. I'm going to fucking, no, don't. <laughs> Robbie, you cannot tackle naked people in the middle of the field. Do not do that. And sure enough, they come running across. They grab the game ball, and they run off. And the crowd goes wild. And it was like a tradition at Wesleyan that this group of naked people would come and steal the ball during football games every so often. Oh, my God. Did they do I, that when you were there? No, they did not do that when I was there. That's got to be a new thing. Yeah, it was, it was different. Well, that was Wesleyan in a nutshell. For it me, feels, feels, feels like Wesleyan. But now they that had I'm a new dorm for a while. That, beautiful that, campus. Yeah. But also in the middle of, of kind of like a, a war zone of crime and violence. Yeah, and there's some... Like the total paradox, right? Of like a beautiful elite school right next to a really right, tough right. neighborhood in Hartford, Connecticut? No, uh, sorry. Middletown. Uh, Middletown, Connecticut, yeah. 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 But I wanted to, the reason I wanted to go back to that, Bradley, is where did your political interest, this inspiration... You've been involved in politics. You've been an activist, I feel like, looks like your whole life. As long as I've been doing the work that I've been doing for veterans, I think we cross paths really early and you've been supportive of veterans. I know you've worked with uh, my friend Jason Kander, who was yeah. the uh, the Secretary of State in in Missouri, yes. an inspiring guy. But where where does that come from? Yeah, man? and I've done stuff for. Uh, I think veterans' courts are really important. Yep. Um, my, I, I, well, this is this is an interesting uh, thing to talk about with you. My uh, uh, my family was Quaker. My parents became Quakers, um, uh, but. Uh, my mother was an adamant atheist uh, who the only thing she wanted in her obituary was the words proud atheist, which I thought was kind of gutsy. Yeah. Like, like yeah. You're, 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 uh, uh, but we were part of, uh, they became Quakers. And the main thing with Quakers is uh, the reason my mother... Uh, and father were drawn to it. My father served uh, uh, in the Navy during World War II, um, uh, but they were attracted to the fact that there's nobody there interpreting your uh, uh, experience of the divine. Uh, there's no minister, there's no rabbi, nothing. 
Uh, and of course, the other thing is nonviolence. Um, and uh, I was coming into consciousness uh, during uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, and as you can imagine, in the Quaker community, um, uh, there were a lot of peace actions going on. The other thing about Quakers is it's all about uh, putting your faith into action. Um, so we Sunday school was not about scripture or about sort of wasting time. You know, you would go down and and and. Uh, talk about prison reform, which Quakers were interested in. So, so there was this thing poured into me that you need to be engaged. Uh, and then, uh, as the war went on, um, uh, uh, and I became more aware of it, I even thought, I'm, as a kid, I thought, there must be a better reason uh, for this war, I think I'm getting Quaker propaganda because why would we be sacrificing all these people for no reason? I remember having this awareness of like, am I getting, uh, and then in retrospect, uh, um, you look back at the tragedy of that war um, and uh, uh, it's even more heartbreaking than it was presented to me. My brother uh, who is uh, 17 years older than me, uh, was drafted. Uh, this was at a time when people uh, were pretending to be Quaker uh, uh, because there's a, a deferment in that. Right. And uh, all my brother had to say was, they basically get up there and they ask you two questions. Are you a birthright Quaker? He's one of the few guys there who's like, yeah, I actually am. Uh Uh, And the second question is, are you a pacifist? Um, And it was an amazing thing because he stopped and he realized he, he couldn't say that. He said, no, I would have fought against Hitler. My objection to this war uh, is is political. And he was sentenced uh, initially to go to prison um, and ended up uh, doing alternative service. Um, uh, but it was a moment of unspeakable integrity uh, uh, to me to have this guy um, uh, uh, put himself... Um, uh, on the uh, you know on, on the line like that, I feel self conscious saying that about people who actually no. put them on a different kind no, of I line. Think it's true. But um, but you know, so I remember my mother wailing, you know, uh, that night, um, because her son was going to go to prison. Uh, so politics, uh, uh, the consequences of of political decisions was making my mother wail. Mm. Um, and it just sort of built, uh, you know, people always thought like, is it West Wing that did it? And I think it was more like, it was more uh, having kids um, um, uh, was, was what engaged me. And I felt like decisions were being made uh, uh, by the Bush administration that were, 
uh, I felt like the paper would land in the driveway and my kid's future was being attacked. Hmm. Um, uh, and I was self-conscious about it. Um, you know, I'm a, you know, I, 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 uh, I thought, God, you know, you're an idiot actor, you know, putting yourself out the, uh, out there on a limb. Um, and then I realized that the, you know, and a lot of people are telling you to shut up. Uh, and then I realized, you know, there's nothing less democratic than telling somebody to shut up. So they should shut up. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, and that, and, that's, so and, that's where and, the, that's where the awakening came from. My, my a friend and former colleague, Tom Porter, who worked on the Hill with me at IAVA, uh, folks would sometimes say, you know, I'm not that into politics. And he said, well, politics is into you. And, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. that, you know, it sounds like you had that awakening when politics, you know, got into you and got well, into your well, family. That's what and, obsessed me. I mean, the way yeah. politics is covered is, um, they're ba- like, CNN is stealing the format of ESPN, Bingo. you know, a Bingo. Bunch, yeah, a bunch of opinionated, you know, blowhards kind of screaming at each other is a cheap way to make a lot of, <laughs> a and, lot, a lot and, of television. And more, and, and, and very frequently, a white person and a black person arguing on television. Did you oh, ever that's notice interesting. That? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a page from the ESPN playbook too. Right, right. One that is often not mentioned. It's that which we don't speak of. Right, right, right. But even um, my friend Chris Cuomo, who's joined me on the show, has been very generous. Um, there is a, a moment of interaction, friction between him and Don Lemon, right? Every night. Right. And sometimes they dial it up. Sometimes they dial it down. Maybe it's not him. Maybe it's the forces that be. But I, I've noticed, and I think if you look for it now that I've mentioned it, you'll see that not just CNN, but many networks will dial that up and dial it down. And I don't think it's accidental. I mean, you've been, you know, booked for things and unbooked for things. And a lot of TV, including political TV, is casting. I mean, I know that there are times when I'm on because I'm, uh, you know, an angry angry white guy. And there are times when I'm not on because I'm an angry white guy, right? Right. right. Um, Yeah, you fill your slot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's casting. It's like, this is the character actor. This is the lead. But when we go, when we, I want to, there's so much I want to deconstruct with you, but I want to go back to the question I ask of everyone. When you were growing up in Madison, Bradley Whitford, what was your first car? Um, I, I, I want to say my dad's, uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say this because I get a certain gearhead vibe here, uh, but it was my dad's crappy uh, Ford Pinto. That's a great answer. There is no <laughs> bad answer. So tell us about the Ford Pinto. What, what color was it? Uh, it, weirdly, it, I, I, I think it was red. Um, uh, and it was a terrible car, especially in Wisconsin. The fun thing about Wisconsin is taking the cars out on the lakes when they're frozen, which, which we did a lot. Um, um, and, uh, you haven't lived until you've just gunned a car on three miles of open ice. <laughs> That's amazing. And you hear the cracks. It's 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 really fun. You ever worried that the Pinto would actually go through the ice? I knew how deep the lake was. And I knew it was like, you know, sort of four feet there. We took bigger cars than the Pinto out there, too. This is where I wish there was footage. Like, <laughs> that would be some amazing footage. We would do crazy. I remember one night, uh, and th- there was no partying involved or anything, Uh but it, it was the winter and the lake was frozen out about uh, 40 feet. Um, and it was at night and I just thought, I want to jump in there. 
And I pulled the car hit, took all my clothes off, and jumped in a frozen lake at like at like midnight. Um, I could have like I could have just died of of hypothermia. And it was hard to get. Of course, it's easy to get off the ice into the lake. It's it's a lot trickier getting out. Oh, yeah. But um, but I made it. It steeled you for your future. Yes. 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 So as we talk about the politics of the time. Um, you, I want to go back to this, this activism because you also, you know, raised your hand and raised your voice at a time in 2004, five, six, when I first did, when mm-hmm. I first came home from Iraq, I was one of, if not the first Iraq veteran to yeah, no, publicly challenge yeah, yeah, Bush yeah. on the war. It was, you know, Dixie Chicks time. It was um, Bill Maher going through a lot of, 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 of uh, scrutiny. It was, you were, you knew Janine Garofalo and yeah. others who I knew. Um, from Air America and other places. So it was a very radioactive time. And I think it was a time that people forget how important it was because now everybody's kind of involved in a way where it's kind of become cool. It's never enough people involved, but it, I think it's much more socially acceptable. The idea in 2004 that people would march in the streets was considered radical. It was considered old fashioned. Right, right. Now it happens on a weekly basis. Right. So um, what was that like for you in that time period? Because you were... I think it's a patriotic thing you did. I think it's a patriotic thing you continue to do. Even if people don't agree with your your political positions, your activism, I think, is important and inspiring and patriotic. So what was it like during that time? And then if you compare it to now, because people do say, yeah, shut up and dribble or whatever, or shut up and act. But back then, in 2004, my brother was afraid I was going to get shot. Because yeah. it wasn't happening. Like, there weren't lots of people. There weren't well, lots of Kaepernicks. Well, especially you, uh, with your experience in Iraq coming back. Uh, I mean, that that was, a, it was a huge thing for uh, people in the military to stand up. I had a very interesting experience. This kind of is about this, but goes back. Um, God, I'm blanking his name, but um, I was invited to speak at West Point. Um, uh and uh, it was really interesting. Tommy Sowers bringing you back? It was Tommy Sowers, yeah, 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 Tommy yeah. Sowers. My friend Tommy Sowers yeah. used to be in the, in the social sciences department, which is kind of like the really interesting, it's where Petraeus was, it's where yeah. Jack Jacobs is, and Tommy Sowers, who also ran for Congress in North Carolina, yes, I actually he did. spoke to him this week. We is he in touch. Missouri now? He's in North Carolina, he's teaching at Duke. Oh, okay, um, okay. But he was, Great he, guy. he ran in Missouri, in Rush Limbaugh's home district as a Democrat. Yes. But he, he actually did a great thing. He brought a lot of people back to West Point from outside of the military. And, and, and Well, it was a really and, interesting thing because yeah. this was sort of in the thick of all of this. And I didn't know where he stood. Um, and I remember, remember getting to the hotel and he's like, uh, so are, uh, you want to uh, like, you want to run 12 miles at 6 a.m.? I'm like, no, man. Are you, are you out of your mind? I would be dead. Um, and then we're, <laughs> then we're walking, uh, walking in and I didn't know Tommy then, uh, really well, but I said, you know, I really hope that anything I say that is critical, I, I feel self-conscious, you know, criticizing, you know, uh, a military action at a, at a military school. And he said, um, you know, if you've seen what I've seen, uh, nobody's more critical than I am. Um, and it was a very interesting conversation because this goes back to something you said way earlier that I think is uh, 
something important culturally going on. They were terrified that I would uh, 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 make generalizations about them uh, that were incorrect and lacked the nuance that each of them brought to, to the discussion. And I was worried that I would be dismissed as some, you know, pinko lefty makeup wearing actor boy. <laughs> um, uh, and it was a great conversation uh, where, you know, we, we, we found a lot of, a lot of common ground. I mean, that moment just reinforced to me, um, uh, it, it, and solidified in me something that, that uh, politics is the way you create your moral vision. Politics, um, uh, you know, it's 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 not an extracurricular, <laughs> yeah. And if uh, if you don't participate, you're abdicating your future to those who choose to participate. And part of the reason I think we have such wealth inequalities now and and, and such uh, economic injustice, which has led to a lot of the craziness that we have now is that the moneyed interests are incentivized to be participating in the political process on a daily basis. They are always there. It's part of their business. On the left, a lot for a lot of people, it, it, uh, you know, it's, it's almost an extracurricular. Mm. Uh, uh, something you will add on and, and um, uh, uh, I think that you know, we sentence ourselves to a gulag dictated by those who choose to participate. Mm. And uh, uh, political participation, um, I mean, it was, some, it, was, it was a message, the show happened, you know, it was, it was a show that was not cynical about the political process. Um, uh, West Wing. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, which I think is uh, an important uh, message uh, to get out, out there. So when you, Bradley, when you look at the political landscape and, and I think it's really, this is why I like the podcast format because we can expand on ideas and we can talk openly in a way you and I have been on these shows, um, where you got to get it in a sound bite, right? And it's miserable and it's, you know, on some levels insulting, but it's also the playing field. So you do what you can, where you can, how you can, but um, this is angry Americans. We, we say it a lot. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And all my guests are important, iconic and or inspiring. And I think you really, in your career and your activism has, is all those things. You really are an important voice and you've shaped in, in so many important ways, culturally, what this country is understood to be, right? I mean, from the West Wing to Handmaid's Tale to, you know, Get Out, all the other things right. you're doing. I mean, you've been in so many things. A lot things. of that is, like, truly a lot of that is is kind of blind luck that that snowballed that that i got to do these things that have this sort of cultural uh relevance tremendous cultural relevance. right like it, it's you could call it luck but when you know after you hit 300 for 10 years it's not luck anymore <laughs> i mean this is there's but but i but I, i'll tell you like you, know, it, you can have a good year but you're hitting for average or, or you know leading in in homer's I, I, am, I, I picked up from Aaron Sorkin a, a real wariness of part of the reason that show worked was precisely was not because 
Aaron Sorkin was trying to serve a bunch of civic vegetables. Uh, it was because Aaron is an impatient entertainer and uh, uh, who happens to have strong political beliefs, but it was the collision of, of those sensibilities mm. that made it uh, uh, that made it work. And I'm very wary of um, uh, of blatantly political. Uh, uh, lecturing. But for, for a long time, and I've talked a lot about this in the context of war, the, the way the popular culture and, and most of the population understands war, especially now when so few serve, is through entertainment. Yeah. Right? If you think about what is Vietnam, unless you served in Vietnam, Vietnam is platoon, it's Full Metal Jacket. Right. Maybe it's Maybe some of Ken Gump, Burns. Right? right. Yeah. Right. Maybe now it's Ken Burns. Right. Maybe you, you, you were some of the geeks who watched Hearts and Minds and the other documentaries. Right, right. right. But it was coming home. And it was these really formative understandings. Even Rambo is back now. Right. Rambo was a Vietnam vet. We talk about the Rambo stereotype because right. he was the disgruntled Vietnam vet. Right. Who was violent and, you know, misunderstood. And in the book is much more complicated than the film. But um, West Wing shaped the way people understood politics for an entire generation. There was nothing else even close. You know, now there's House of Cards. There's many other political dramas. Uh, Veep, right, I think might be maybe the most accurate and insightful of them all, having been this close to politics. And I'd love <laughs> your, your thoughts on, on that. But, but there was an, an, an important uh, foundational component to the West Wing, especially for a generation that's maybe, I don't know, over 30 now. Yeah. Especially for an older generation. That was how they knew politics. Well, you know what's an interesting thing is we live in this world where um, most political discussions that we are exposed to are two people shouting publicity at each other. What West Wing was, West Wing, I remember going to Aaron once going, this is backstage comedy. And he said, exactly. That, uh, th that's what it is. And it's interesting to me that, um, uh, this sounds pretentious, but, uh, uh, an acting teacher said to me once, um, we were working on a Shakespeare thing. Um, and he was, he was saying this, uh, soliloquy is, truer than what a human being wouldn't say at that moment. And he was, he was basically saying that fiction has the capacity to get to truth. Um, uh, uh, you know, the truth, uh, it, I think the example he used was there's an old man sitting in a room next to a fire. Well, that's the documentary. That's not the truth. The truth is the man thinking of the fire he sat around, you know, with his little girl before she died. That's mm. the actual truth. Mm. The truth is not the exterior. And with fiction, like we could show politicians not pretending to know what they were going to do. Cause that's all we see. Or, uh, um, and we were able to show them uh, argue and struggle. And I think in a weird way, that's a more accurate uh, portrayal of people who worked in the White House. Maybe not this one, <laughs> but, uh, but, in, but in, in other white, white Houses than you will ever get in a documentary or mm. on the news. Or is the truth sticking your hand in the fire? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be that too. We can ask Aaron Sorkin if he ever comes on on the show, right? But I mean, I think it 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 is um, because what's been interesting for me in in the communication of these times and these wars is that now there is a first person because of the technological advances, because you can shoot it on an iPhone, because you can have a small mobile camera and shoot hundreds of hours of footage at an affordable. um, Yeah, it's uh, incredible. Some of the first films to come out of, for example, Iraq and Afghanistan were docks. They were docks like Gunner Palace, where they put little cheap cameras on Humvees and drove around. Yeah. The docks like Restrepo. Restrepo, So in in previous times, features came first. Wesleyan dude, by the way. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, Features came first and then documentaries came later. This time, documentaries came first and features came later. And everyone said no one wants to talk about uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. No one wants to talk about politics. Right. Politics is too dangerous. It's too political. It's too risky. And now politics is life and everybody wants to talk about it. And we can't keep track of all the political shows. And and maybe to take it full circle. Yeah. Just just to jump in. When West Wing, one of the big things when West Wing was was starting was you can't do a political show. Right. It's not an arena that works. And I remember talking with Aaron and going, that's bullshit, man. Like, like. What you need is you need conflict and theatricality, and that's what that's what politics is. Yeah. And sure enough, once West Wing is successful, Hollywood, with all the intelligence of water yeah. rushing down a hill, yeah. understands that this is a good arena. And now we have, you know, we have. Uh, House of Cards, which is Macbeth, right. uh, a version of politics. We have Veep, you know, a, an extraordinary, brilliant parody. Oh, God, I was heartbroken when that show ended. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a really good. But it arena. has to have, it has to have a sprinkle of relevance, of timeliness, right? And, and West Wing was still kind of at times for political junkies, right? And, and, and politics was a pastime. Politics was an extracurricular activity. Now, especially for the post 9-11 generation, politics is foundational. Politics, politics is immediate. It's climate change. It's war. Well, it's racial division. It's police brutality. It's guns, right? It's kids worrying about, you know, somebody coming through with an AK. So it's very, very relevant. And I think that, in my view, is what's changed about why politics now is popular is yeah. because it feels more connected and more timely and more immediate to something everyone can relate to. It's not sci-fi anymore. It's now like, it's, it's, it's a medical drama. It's ER, it's St. Elsewhere. It's something you can relate to from personal experience. Yeah, and I, and, and I, and I think especially this young generation is in a very inspiring way doing something that I think is just so important. Uh, John F. Kennedy, the, uh, I, I, for some reason I haven't been able to find, uh, find the actual speech, but at one point he talked about the idea that um, the future is an act of, of imagination and the future is an act of your own creation. And that goes to the center of the spectacular unfulfilled aspiration of this country is, is that with our participation, we are not victims of, of some passive fate, but we have the power to create our, our, our future. And I think because of a lot of terrible things, people are, are beginning to realize that when it comes to, um, you know, the Parkland kids, uh, um, uh, and certainly climate change is uh, um, finally <laughs> uh, focusing. It is amazing to me that in this country, 
we we are the like the the most right wing party, like as close as you can be to a, a fucking Nazi in in Germany. They totally accept the science of climate change. They're like, you know, we hate the Jews, but we're not nuts. You know, right. <laughs> I right. mean, we are the only country where where uh, uh, you know we have a major, you know. The party but that, but that's, power that, but I think that's, that doesn't believe I think, it. I think that's I think that's over. I do. I'm going to make a prediction, right? Like like in the same way, um, firearms is now at a tipping point, right? There was an image of Greta Thunberg standing behind Trump, and 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 Greta is like the, a cross between like the harbinger of death and an oracle. Like she's up there saying, "I am the future, and yeah. I'm coming for you," right? Yeah. And whether it's me or what I represent, it's going to run over you. Right. And, and and there was a moment where she was, you know, kind of stoically, almost menacingly menacing the menacer yeah. standing behind Trump. And this very powerful image that it's will very, be everywhere. Very I, I, right? love, I love, by the way. And, and she's got this, you know, she's almost like a being sent from the future to warn us about what's going to happen right out of the movies. She's yeah. She she's she's this ambassador, a warning sign, right? Well, and and, and this but that paradox is this there. Is what and, dropped, and I think it is shifting. I, 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 think, I think I think she's winning. And I think Trump's losing and I think the kids are winning and I think the old ways are losing, right? The dinosaurs are dying fast. And, and, and I think at a, at a rate that we've never seen before, I think, you know, especially technology has transformed every landscape and every industry and maybe politics and government were some of the last ones to get transformed. Right. But the empowerment of this movement that's overtaking them, I think it's happening, man. I don't know. And guys uh, like you and so many others that were out in front talking about climate change long ago before it was cool, you know, you were, you were right and it's it's here now. So my my question for you is twofold. One, yeah. how does that feel? But also the question for you that I really want to get to that I ask of everyone is, Bradley, what makes you angry? <laughs> what makes me angry? Oh, my God. Uh, we're going to need another uh, uh, five hours. The way it makes me feel, honestly, though, is frustrated. Um, uh, the science has been in forever. Um, uh, I was, uh, I actually worked on a documentary series, uh, called Years of Living Dangerously. And one of the episodes we did was, um, me talking to climate, uh, denying, uh, a Republican, uh, House and, and, and Senate, uh, members about climate change. And, uh, I was doing it through the Citizens Climate Lobby, which is, uh, 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 very carefully bipartisan. Uh, they have uh, a climate coalition and they won't take on another Democrat without a Republican because they understand that any permanent change needs to be made, uh, in, in a bipartisan manner. Um, but you're dealing with people who are just flatly denying this. And they put you through this training on how to talk to, to climate changing Republicans uh, uh, about climate change. And, and it's like a seminar and it's like, a, it, it's like, it's like how to work with a, a you know, a, a bear in, in heat, you know, <laughs> like no matter what they say, don't react, no sudden movements, uh, um, you have to, you know, acknowledge uh, uh, their right to their opinion and then just sort of mosey on down and try to get to common ground, which usually had something to do with free market solutions. Um, but I had these- do, you, do you scare them away by being bigger and louder than they are? 
<laughs> no, no, that didn't work. Oh God, what's her name? Marsha. Uh, she's now the senator from I think Tennessee. Marsha Blackburn. Blackburn. Yeah. yeah, I remember I was I was in her office and uh, uh, she said, uh, or, "You know, we're setting up the cameras," and she said, "You're not going to come at me with science, are you?" And I said. <laughs> And I said, will you say that uh, 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 on film? And she said, no. And I said, okay, why, why not? And she said, well, you got your science, baby. I got mine. I mean, I'm like, okay. Wow. It's nihilism. Wow. That's wow. I, that's the weird thing about what's what's happening politically is that the party that <coughs> that, in my opinion, has had a tremendous advantage because they own God. They own the flag um, uh, for reasons that uh, often escape me um, has become a party of absolute nihilism and and fuggery. I want to come back to that. I know you. But do. what makes you angry? What Henry? makes me angry? Um, uh, well, uh, I'm most angry at the oppressors, but I'll tell. I, I'll be critical. Uh, what makes me most angry uh, are uh, uh, people on the left who uh, don't vote strategically but vote to express their political purity. Makes me insane. Mm. And people on the left who critique where we are um, uh, uh, as if uh, the economic inequalities, where we are in climate change, all occurred because of compromised... Democratic Party values, as if Republicans never existed, and I think I, I think that's insane. Progressives drive like I I know what I'm I know what I'm getting with the people I disagree with, but when the people I agree with, um, uh, you know, we need to, you know, I I don't think Republicans were in love with Trump. I think he held up a list and said, uh, I got this list uh, from the Watchmahickies. Uh, and these are going to be my Supreme Court nominees, and and you will get your tax cut. And they're like, oh, okay. Where was where where were we on the left saying, you know, uh, how are we going to protect people's access to health care? Yeah, d Democrats often would rather be right than win. Yes, and I've been very critical of the Democrats and the Republicans from where I sit. You know, you watch them eat their own often. Yeah, right. And 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 maybe the last debate. Um, was, was oh, yeah, maybe the was best nutty. example of it where they spent more time ripping apart Joe Biden than ripping apart Donald Trump. And for me, it's friendly fire, right? I'm not a Democrat, but I think there's a way for them to advance their agenda and make their points without ripping apart their own. Because even if you don't like Joe Biden, a wounded Joe Biden is not good for Democrats, right? And, and I don't think, right? At no. least if it's out in the open, right? Like there are some things you can take strategically and deal with in-house and there are other things you can deal with on the battlefield. But it's, it's almost painful to watch the friendly fire when you're not on that side, you're just rooting for that side. Yeah, it's and insane. So, but you also sound like a guy often that is not, you know, you do a lot of work uh, on the Democratic side, but are you a Democrat by default? Or because there are so many people that are that are partyless, and a lot of the messages that you talk about, the issues you talk about, the work that you do, probably connects with people of all political backgrounds. But but are you? Yeah, I, are you, I mean, are you, it frustrates you, me the way. Why are, the question is why are why you am why, I, why are you a Democrat? Why am I a Democrat? Yeah. Um. Uh. I am. A are you a Democrat? Yeah, yeah I'm okay. a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Um, now there's a lot of versions. There's progressives. There's liberals. There's yeah, social yeah, yeah. Democrats. Yeah. There's, 
right? I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for you. I, um, uh, I have mixed feelings about how the parties, you know, obviously polarize and separate people, but um, I also believe in, um, you know, in the power of a union. Uh, I'm I'm a part of uh, several unions in Hollywood, and they do a lot of really stupid stuff that I completely disagree with. But I will never cross a picket line, um, uh, uh, and because we need strength in numbers. So I think this is a reason. Um, that's part of why. And I think I think parties are anachronistic to young people. I think they're like, what? Yeah, yeah. I don't don't that's call that, me that. That's part of why I asked because you just made a great case for joining a union. You didn't make a great case for, for joining the Democratic Party. Well, listen, uh, 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 I do not think that the parties are the same. Uh, I think that there is a party uh, that uh, uh, that in my lifetime has uh, brought us uh, civil rights legis- legislation. Uh, uh, you know, it's the party going back that, you know, uh, gave us, uh, social security and Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, I, I do believe that at its best, the democratic party, um, uh, and of course there are exceptions to it. Um, but they're on the right side of climate change. I, I don't see, I, I don't look at them equally cynically no. uh, uh, at all. This would be a radically different world, I think, in 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 a lot of ways. Uh, you know, if this would be a radically different world if if Al Gore was president. Yeah. Um, so I so I think it does make a difference. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and I don't see them as, as equally cynical. I I, I don't understand. I, I really don't understand uh, the Republican Party. I, 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 but again, I'm good. This is where I challenge you go, and, challenge and, and a lot of Democrats. That's a great case for not being a Republican. But why is it a case for being a Democrat? And, and maybe Democrats and, are fighting for uh, uh, you know in terms of climate change uh, as a as as a party. If Democrats were in control. Uh, we would obviously still, you know, be in the Paris Accords. We would have a price on carbon, which, for God fucking sake, was a Republican idea, yeah. which has been dismissed uh, as crazy. Both parties are, are, uh, you know, are compromised. But I don't. Uh, but I see a, I, I see a, a, a huge, uh, a huge difference, and it feels to me like the Republican Party. You know the climate change thing. It's it's all about business interests mm. and republic and and there's a huge there's a huge difference in terms of economic policy because Republican policy uh, is based on this fucking Orwellian idea that the rich are victims as as economic disparities explode. The it's underpinning everything that Republicans fight for. The rich are victims. They, there's there are too many regulations and they're overtaxed. So when you think which is of, insane, and I think one of the, one of the things that you are you know uniquely talented at is is communicating. In many ways, you've articulated a better uh, sales pitch for the Democratic Party than most Democrats can. Oh yeah, right? they're terrible. And you've been doing that. that. You've been doing that for decades. And 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 credit to you know many people who aren't formally in the party who have been making the case on on behalf of the party better than the party has. But when you look at the candidates, yeah, have you have you chosen a candidate 
And, and, and if not, you know, g- give me your assessment of the landscape as someone who has influence, who will have influence, who should have influence. Right, right, right. What do, what do you think? I'm a big Pete of- fan. I was, I was a big Pete fan early on. I heard him talk once and I was just kind of blown away by his, uh, uh, his clarity. Um, uh, um, I'm torn about it. I, I, one of my person, most inspiring human being I know, um, who actually married us is Adi Barkin, um, uh, who is who's an activist and uh, a passionate uh, uh, advocate for uh, for Medicare for all. Um, and I worry about the potential political trap with that. I worry um, uh, about. Uh, I, I I think it is absolutely insane that 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 we live in. A, if I pulled a pistol out here and killed everybody here, I would have health care for life. But if I work in a factory and I my kid gets leukemia and I get laid off, I'm screwed. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and and universal access to health care. I just worry. I work a lot in Canada, you know, uh, where they're very happy up there. Uh, uh, and Bernie and uh, 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 Elizabeth are basically saying, you know, we're, we're going to take away, uh, you know, I work on sets every day with people who have negotiated away wages, and these are working people who are available to Democrats. The fundamental difference, I would say, between these two parties and the reasons I am a Democrat is that for all of their flaws, it appears to me that uh, Democrats in general are are on the better side of the fight for opportunity for all, mm-hmm. and Republicans are representing accumulation uh, for the few. I feel like this landscape, um, you know, I'm terrified because it's an existential election. I feel like um, uh, uh, I, I think Trump is 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 an amoral narcissist uh, uh, who's kind of, you know, there was a, what's his name? Grover Norquist. Uh, If you go on, you would not have expected you to start by quoting Grover Norquist. The great Grover Norquist. Go man, Bradley Whitford on Grover Uh, Norquist. Here it comes. Grover Norquist, uh, 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 who uh, has done more damage to this country than, uh, uh, Bill Barr's uh, chasing uh, chasing after him for that record. Uh, but Grover Norquist, you can find it on YouTube. I think it was like 2013. Um, uh, and he's speaking at something and he says, you know, there's a lot of... I don't do Grover Norquist because uh, it would compromise my soul. But um, uh, he's saying, people are saying, who should the Republican nominee be? And he's like, I can tell you who it should be. What we need as president is we need a life support system for a hand. And I think that's what they got. Um, they, they got a guy who in exchange for, you know, we'll put all the bills there. Um, uh, uh, and there's, uh, there's a, pra- there's a, there's a pragmatic approach that's consistent in the Republican party. Yes. And, and a, a, devastatingly effective pragmatic approach yes and consistently at least over the last generation where where um they are they're they they are getting what they want and what they need and you know they they rally around each other and rally around their candidates even in the darkest days there's a sense of of unity and cohesion 
and teamwork, if you will, right? And, and Will Rogers famously said, I'm not a member of, a Demo- of an organized party. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat, And it's right. never been, been more true. But there's going to be this fight for the soul of the Democratic Party. Is it going to be Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders well, listen, that- or a morphing of all of them, right? Because Elizabeth Warren is becoming a lot more moderate. She's sounding a lot more populist. She's, she's, taking, she's dropping the bad of the Bernie and keeping the good. And she's new and improved Bernie from a messaging standpoint and a much better rapper. And it's, yeah. and it's moving at yes. the same time where Biden is slipping and Mayor Pete's chugging along, but still struggling to, to you know, Mayor, every time Mayor Pete's on a debate stage, you, you kind of lose him. He just has a way of disappearing. And I, I like him a lot, respect him a lot. I think he, he says a lot of good things, but there's a question about whether or not he can hang long term or is he just going to be a fantastic secretary of state, which, which, which I would argue he may be one day. Right. right. And right, then right. he'll be back. Um but you know what's interesting to me? This is, uh, and this comes from my absolutely peculiar perspective of the weird little life that that I get to live. It's so interesting to me. You can ejaculate on an intern in the Oval Office; you'll be forgiven. You can go to war based on false intelligence without a plan of what to do after you arrive. You will be forgiven. The death penalty in politics is reserved for what I am concerned about every day. The death penalty in politics is reserved for being bad on television. It is unforgivable. Howard Dean screams, get out. Get the fuck out. Uh, You know, Al Gore, you know, he sounds kind of condescending. Get out. Quit it. It's not, and that's fucking terrifying. That's that's really insightful. So, so so, look who we have. So, given that, given given that, who who among the candidates? Who's best on television? Well, do you give in to that fucking shallow well, I'm bullshit? I'm asking you. I, I do. Yes. Like, is, I mean, is this I think as I'm pra- as- I'm, no, I'm pragmatic, <laughs> right? And if and if we accept your your thesis, which I think is important, right? I mean, Barack well, Obama uh, was fantastic on television, maybe the best we've ever seen, the best we'll John ever Kennedy see. John Kennedy ruined it for everybody. Okay, but but of the candidates, I mean, you, if you're if you're Aaron Sorkin well, and you're casting people for the play that is the future of America, who is the strongest on all of the platforms? Who is the most dynamic? Who is the best on television? Well, there's some people who haven't popped. I think Corey, uh, Corey is great. Uh, you know, whether popping, there can be only one. There, there, there can, can be, be only. This is Highlander. Uh, listen, can be I, only I, one. I would say that that uh, uh, clearly Elizabeth Warren is 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 connecting and communicating in a way and in an interesting way. Um, uh, you know, the most insane thing about Trump is that. I, I, how on earth does a spray tanned trust fund kid whose daddy gave him $244 million become the hero of the working man? And he doesn't. But, But I think you're right. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is good. And here's the thing about Elizabeth Warren. She is a voracious learner. Yes. She's in a constant state of beta. Right. She, she's the Borg. She's getting smarter and smarter. Well, she's going to get attacked for that because she was a Republican until oh, she was four, sh- sure, 49. Sure, but but she's getting better. She's getting better on Twitter. She's getting better on Snapchat. She's taking a page from AOC and you know making breakfast and shooting it and I talking agree. about They're, dogs. Uh, like you watch she, and, these and that's people. the thing about Elizabeth Warren has gotten better faster than almost any candidate I've ever seen. I've met Elizabeth Warren in person. I've spent time with her. I was impressed by her, but I've also seen her trajectory. And, and I mean, she's only been a senator, what, eight years, like less than a decade. And she's learning at light speed. 
Yeah. And I think that is what is most exciting to it's watch. It's almost about like her. she has a sort of you know AI turbocharged. hundred percent. Yeah. And and she's and she's you know got brilliant is the en- selfie thing. And she's got tremendous energy and and she she looks a lot younger than she is, quite frankly. Yeah, she's and, seventy, and right? She's dynamic. And and when you meet her in person, uh, there are some candidates who are who look older in person. Uh, Biden looks a lot older in person. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren looks younger in person. And 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 she's mastering all these art forms and getting smarter. So that that's that's what I see. But we can't talk about all this without talking about the dystopian future that you are a part of, bringing home for everybody in Handmaid's Tale. Right. And you know, the one question. There's so many questions about Handmaid's Tale, but I I think it is more important than West Wing. Yes. It it is so timely. It is so brilliant. It's one of my five favorite shows of all time. I'm putting uh, it up there and it just keeps getting better, but I didn't really catch on till later. And then it became, you know, a freight train for me. Right. And, and you play this diabolical, mm-hmm. fascinating, amazing character. And there's a lot to dig into, but if, if commander Lawrence is a character in this administration, who is it? Uh, in this one, yeah. um, well, the interesting thing about him at the point we meet him in Gilead is that he's in play. Yeah. So uh, I don't know much about the uh, the new DNI guy, but apparently he put his foot down uh, today, and that would be the best side. Of, but there's a little of bit Commander of like Lawrence. there's a little bit of uh, of General Kelly in there. Right, like you, you hope. Well, that I he, can tell you, he was a creator. My, and you hope he'll save us all, and you don't know model, where he's going to go. Right, maybe my, Mattis even. Right, there's like a Mattis in yeah, there, and Mattis, Lawrence, like, and then uh, there's a little Steve Bannon. There's all these different pieces that are baked into to Commander Lawrence, and we still Commander Lawrence might be the guy who wrote the op-ed from inside the administration. Yes. Right? He, uh, yes, he he could be. I have always based this guy from the beginning on. Uh, McNamara on on Robert McNamara because it's a guy with a huge brain that obliterates for a time his humanity, and he was an economist like Lawrence is, uh, who you know was brilliant in 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 making. Uh, uh, I think it was was he at Ford or General Motors. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sort of an efficiency expert, and he used that same brilliance to exterminate a couple million people. Uh, and then at the end of his life, uh, have you seen Fog of War? Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask if you were going there. Yeah, yeah. Fog of War is is the great, fascinating. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the great um, you know catharsis. Yes, right? it's, it's it's his. It's his swan song, right? It's his great cathartic moment. It's his confession. Right. right? Which, which many thought would never happen. Right. And we still don't know if that'll happen for, it's kind of happened for Lawrence, but we don't know where he's going to go. Like Lawrence is like McNamara, but still inside. He's still in play. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what's fat. As an acting experience, look, I love that show so much. It, uh, it, it, it was, it's like getting a guest shot on, you know, Godfather 2. Um, and your first shot when you're, you know, you're talking to Lizzie in that, um, you know, iconic wardrobe. Uh, uh, it's it's really nerve wracking. I mean, the interesting thing about the show, it would be a complete disservice to all the people who suffered, uh, uh, you know, uh, horribly um, under um, uh, previous dictatorships. But um, one thing that's changed in the last couple of years, just from my point of view, is. Uh, 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 
I do think that there is a lot of white, open white nationalism going on, but we're not dealing with Nazis. But I never, re- you know, on on a full open scale. But I, it never really made sense to me how the Nazis could have happened, and how worshiping, you know, an erratic uh, narcissist could happen. And I get it now. Yeah. Like who who said that when fascism comes to America, it'll come wrapped in an American flag? Uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll Google it afterward. But, um, but uh, the, the one thing it? I wanted to drill down on is you're you're not just an average actor; you're an activist and an actor. Right. So there are these scenes in The Handmaid's Tale that were shot in Washington. Yes. Right. Where you're on uh, in front of the Washington Monument and other iconic, the Washington Monument has turned into a cross, right? I mean, surreal moments, the Fenway moment where they take over Fenway for public hangings. But the moments in D.C. were really, really powerful. My character didn't go there. But right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I watched reflecting it. on that. And and then and seeing it and experiencing it as a guy who's been on Capitol Hill and now you're in this in this. Well, I'll tell you, there's something I feel job. I feel very strongly about that that at, at at the root of a lot of certainly white nationalist uh, thinking and a lot of radical right wing thinking. Uh, misogyny is at the reptilian brainstem uh, of it all. It's not a bug; it is the feature. Um, uh, whatever you feel about, you know, uh, 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 Hillary, Hillary Clinton, I don't think it's, it's a real accident that we as a country were able to embrace an African American before we were, uh, able to, um, you know, it, from my point of view, choose the worst person on the planet mm. over someone who was arguably the most qualified. Um, and that's, that's what the show um uh really gets at in, in in a deep way and the show has been criticized at certain times uh that it's sort of torture porn um c- because of these terrible scenes and uh Bruce Miller uh the showrunner and writer always uh always has an answer ready and he will reel off to you the names of the uh 10 p- women who were executed in Saudi Arabia or you know, the, the, there is no, and Margaret Atwood was just talking recently. There is nothing going on in there that does not come from history. Mm. Um, and and oh, you sensitive Americans! Really, I mean, we are very sensitive to to violence in a way that is a luxury, in my view. Oh, yeah. You will never see, and and when I say it, and you're listening, you may you may realize it. You will never see a dead American soldier in American media. You right. won't see it. There's a code. In the American media, that we do not show dead American troops. Right, right. right. You, you rarely Is see there a severely. Rule? There's a, there's an unspoken rule right. in the media, we and maybe maybe there's an official rule I don't know about. But ask yourself, right? You never see the the images of dead Americans, right? We are insulated from it in ways that I think, especially for someone who served in combat, find startling and it's even a parenting question my wife and i will talk about what do we show our boys what do we not show our boys and i can't help but look at my four-year-old boy and say there were kids that were two when i was in iraq who saw dead people all the time that was their normal and i walk this line of like i don't want him to live in syria but i don't want him to to be so isolated that he doesn't understand syria 
And that's a really hard thing, I think, for Americans. And so I'm not, you know, well, like, I think it, there's plenty of things. I, I don't think there's a lot to criticize about Handmaid's Tale, but that shit is, is actually part of what makes it powerful. If it makes you uncomfortable, good. Right. Because real politics is uncomfortable. Right. And, and these real issues are are uncomfortable and they should be and great art is uncomfortable in my view well and so. just to, to to maybe criticize uh hollywood hollywood for a second uh, as growing up as a quaker um you're very conscious of of violence not and and physical violence is easy to spot and there's a lot of other kinds of violence and and to be a real pacifist that's a whole that's a whole different um uh journey but you know, you're talking about like, uh, no, we do not witness real violence. We are insulated from it. And yet we are com utterly entertained by it. The definition, our definition of obscenity is the act of creation. And for entertainment, we slaughter people. <laughs> Have you seen John Wick 3? No. It's fucking mind-blowing. Like I was sitting on my couch going, holy shit. And, and in a John Wick film, you can have ridiculous levels of gore and violence, or in a horror film, you can have ridiculous levels of gore and violence, but folks are a little uncomfortable when it comes close to home. But tell that to kids in Syria right now. Tell yeah. that to kids in Iraq and Afghanistan who grew up around it. So I think we have a moral responsibility on some levels, at least to be aware of it and to face it. If you want to be a responsible, engaged citizen, you can't stick your head in the sand. For me, right. it's always about if you're not angry, you're not paying attention and, and you attention must be paid. Yeah. You can figure out your way to do it. But if, if that art pushes you and the politics pushes you to that place, I think it's important. It's good. It's kind of good pain. It's it's like working out pain where you have to tear down muscle to build it up. Right. And I think as a nation for us not to acknowledge that uh, and, and art and, and film and TV shows, maybe the place we do acknowledge it because we can't acknowledge it in our media. So it, it, I guess all that is to say the show is so important yeah. and your work is so important. And I'm really, really grateful for that. And I want you to know it. Um, well, I have, I want to ask you the happy question. I've taken a lot of your time, but we got to go back to the Colbert thing. Oh yeah. 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 The Colbert finale was the wildest day uh, of my life. I didn't know what I was going to. They were like, Hey, it's Colbert's last show. You've been a frequent guest. Would you like to be there? Yeah. I was like, fuck yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I was like, yes. Right. And then there was three or four green rooms. I'm going to tell like a bit of, and then you literally have like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, John, John Baptiste, big bird, Bill de Blasio, you, I mean, the list goes on and on, but uh, in the same room that's like half the size of a gym, a, qu a third the size of a gym. Yes. And kind of sitting on top of each other. And they all just had to sit in the stands, right? And they're like, okay, here's how it's going to go down. Yeah. And I'm sitting next to like Baptiste and, you know, somebody would kind of sneak in off the side and it would be a senator or... Uh, I don't know, Howard Dean or someone else. There's an amazing was, website that did like a find everyone thing oh, where you could really? put the cursor over everyone. Well, but, uh, but I would love to hear your <laughs> recount you, my, of that My experience. memory, this was right at the moment that um, uh, the Sony hack happened. Oh, yeah. It was that um, night and uh, I... While we're filming it, I realize I hear mm, next to me, and I look to the left, and it's Henry fucking Kissinger. And then I look up, and I see these huge security guys looking right at me, 
I thought they were there for Kissinger. And then I looked to my right, and it's James Franco. So I, I was between Franco and, and Kissinger. As Colbert said, a lot of guys who did a lot of damage in Asia. Um, uh, a couple of guys who did a lot of damage in Asia. Uh, but uh, the security was there for Franco. And I, I thought if, if, if I get attacked uh, on the Colbert show. Kissinger doesn't ask for security. Kissinger, like often, like well, say, he's been at events. He's been very he supportive does, of our work. Refuses well. security, can handle himself. Oh he's really? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. And that was a pre- that was maybe the best shortest Kissinger I knew. As soon as you the, did it, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great Kissinger. He sounds like a an old motorbike. And it was like Kissinger next to Willie Nelson. <laughs> Right, like, I literally, I was standing there, and what, what song were we singing? Well, the, uh, yeah, what song? Um, like it was like it was Randy like, Newman. Randy Newman, right? Yeah. And it was this everybody get along song. I, I, I'm, I'm that was playing. one of those nights. I think sometimes uh, it literally had us all together. Folks haven't seen it, and they got us all to sing a song. Right, and it was like Willie Nelson next to Henry Kissinger, and you, I didn't know they just kind of shoved you in, and then I was like, "Who's that in front of me?" And the person would turn around, and it's fucking Willie Nelson, <laughs> and then. De Blasio slides in in the back. Yeah. Right? And all yeah. these people kind of slid in in the back. Stewart to make little... was there. Who? John Stewart. John Stewart, yep. yep. Yeah, but and I Randy kept saying that, and I remember coming home and thinking, I, there are no segues. You know, it was, like, it was like, you know, Bob Costa and, uh, you know, the Dalai Lama. I mean, like, it was just these- and it was rapid... very little hierarchy, which was cool. Yeah. It was like everybody was there because they loved Colbert. Yeah. Or because they wanted to be on TV, right? Like, and 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 uh, nobody really knew what they were walking into. Yeah. And security was really good. Like, they didn't tell, any, maybe you knew, they didn't tell anybody no who else was, was going. going so I didn't know if it was going to be like five people or 500 people, but I definitely didn't expect it to go down that way. Yeah. Um, and it was- It, it was, was a blast. I loved it. You've had some wild experiences in your life. So <laughs> to hear that that is yes, wild I for have. you too, says something. Yes. Uh, uh yeah, I've had some wild experiences. <laughs> That's for next time. That's but for next time. Let me time. ask you the, the the final question I ask all of my guests, and thank you for being so generous and giving oh, us so much fun. time. Now, um, now I'm safe to. Have now a you can bourbon. go to the bourbon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I want, why bourbon? Why do you like bourbon? Um, because it's powerful. <laughs> it's efficient, right? Yeah, it's very efficient. It's <laughs> a great answer. It's, it's, it's a great answer. It's medicinal. It is. It is. It is. In I, moderation. Do you write a lot? Yeah, I do, I do. And do you, I actually do you got dr- to write two West Wings. Do you, uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't know. Do you, dr- okay. do you drink when you write? No. You know, Hemingway said, um, uh, yeah, yeah, write, write when you're drunk, drunk edit, edit when you're sober. sober. Yeah. yeah. But I, I never really drank good scotch until I got home from Iraq and I was in Florida on the beach and I walked into this shitty liquor store and I said, give me the most expensive bottle of whatever the fuck you have in this place. And they gave me a bottle of Macallan. And I oh, never wow. drank McAllen before. It was like, I don't know, it was 120 bucks in Florida or something. And I sat in the beach and I drank it. And it was the first time I drank liquor that was so good that it went to my head before it went to my stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it was yeah, so I powerful because it was powerful. I'll tell you an interesting, it bourbon, was powerful. An interesting bourbon story. Uh, I, uh, uh, when the nomination, I, the day before I got married, um, uh, a couple of months ago, the nominations for the Emmys came out. Uh, and I was getting married, and it was announced that 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 I was getting married. 
uh, or that uh, that I had been married. And in Hollywood, people express affection by sending you like gift baskets uh, and and bottles of 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 booze, usually champagne or you know like the guy you know the executives at Hulu will send something. So there's a whole bunch of these boxes, and I uh, open this box and I and I read the uh, card and I realize the card is to somebody other than me. Okay. And I'm like, okay, well, we have to call the wine store and, and uh, give that back. A couple of weeks go by, <laughs> a couple of weeks go by and we just haven't gotten it done at the house. And I realized, well, you know, it's just a cheap bottle of wine, I'm sure. Um, and that was intended for somebody else. And I pull it out. I forget the name of it. And it's this bottle of bourbon, and I look it up on the internet, and it was a $800 bottle of bourbon. Wow. It was some award-winning nutball uh, 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 adored uh, bourbon. And that stuff is really good. Was it intended for Bradley Cooper instead of Bradley Whitford? Probably Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Do you know who it was intended for? I, 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 Not that I, you don't I, deserve $800. I, I couldn't figure it out. Also. And then I said, oh, just throw it out. I'm sure it's just a bottle of wine. <laughs> uh, and now, now, now I feel uh, a little bit guilty. Don't. Don't. I won't. Don't. So last question, Bradley Whitford. What makes what, me happy? What makes you happy, man? Man, uh, it has something to do with being in bed with my wife and, and, and the dogs. It has a lot to do with that. That uh, uh, feels like a battery uh, recharge. I'm blessed to have, um, and 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 the other thing is, my, I have two kids who are now out of the house when everyone is home. That makes me makes me the happiest. What kind of dogs do you have? And how I, many I do have, you have a spectacular uh, rescue boxer, and uh, I have a sublime uh, Jack Russell Chihuahua mix. Uh, who got me through some very tough times. Wow. Yeah. And what are your dog's names? Uh, Otis and Izzy. Why? Uh, Otis uh, came with that name. Izzy came with that name. But they're perfect names. And then I have a cat named Elton and a cat named Yasha. Fantastic. Yeah. They make you happy. Oh, they make me happy. Well, this... this... Let me amend that. uh, Like walking my dogs makes me incredibly happy. That's how I sort of shake my etch-a-sketch. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a great answer. Thank you for sharing that, that. This entire conversation has made me very happy. I know it will make everyone listening very happy. But we have one final part of this show, which is the giving of the gifts. As a reminder, I still have an Illinois. Li- we didn't. I don't know if we said it, it's an Illinois license plate. Illinois license Land plate. Lincoln. Land of Lincoln. Land of Lincoln. So cool on it. But now so we have cool. gifts that are also holy god. Also so cool. Um, and this is a bag. I can hold your mic because this is the ceremonial the gi- giving of the gifts. Well, it's got meaning behind it. So Can, should yeah, I open it? Yeah, please. This is awesome T-shirt. Angry Americans merch made in America by veterans. I love Hard it. Hard to make stuff in America. As a union supporter, you'll appreciate that. Then yes. this, is, this is the other question that has become ceremonial. Yes. There are three colors of peeps in that bag. Yes. There are yellow, yeah. blue, and pink. Yes. Bradley, which color do you prefer and why? No question. Yellow. Why? Because of the color. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's, I don't know, but it makes a popular uh, answer. Uh, this uh, this was what I had in my little Easter basket when my mom made it. Sarah Jessica Parker called them the OG of Peeps. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the they're the iconic yeah. Peeps, right? Yeah, and that, those are travesties. Yeah, and then lastly, in in the spirit of our earlier conversation, uh, so I go into the same store 
that I think I am now this show is single-handedly keeping in business because um, they're not selling, oh yes they're not selling vape anymore um, <laughs> but I try to pick a, a, a liquor that speaks to me oh my god and this speaks is the to Templeton you. Rye and so this is Templeton Rye um, in part because the, the Templetons are kind of the Templeton Rye is, is the renegade whiskey oh okay you know and, and as opposed uh, to the conservative yeah well and, and you've been uh, a bit of a, of a renegade I tell you the story on the side but I also got glasses for you I love it because I've never given anyone glasses and I feel like you're traveling a lot, so you know you can't be seen drinking out of the bottle. Or you could, but yeah, I gotta. Have you're a Democrat. Class. You could definitely be seen doing that. But uh, you know that, that that's my. I went gift to Wesley, and I could be naked. You could be. I don't know if I switched our mics, but that is my gift for you. Thank you Templeton. so much. I hope you, we always pick an American-made one. This one's made in Iowa. Good, good, good. Which I didn't know until uh, until there's no I picked foreign it. bourbon. Is there? No, I, I don't know. We'll have to look. I it mean, up. there's there's whiskeys from around the world. Well, we always pick an American whiskey, and that okay. is a, a rye whiskey, I believe, technically well, aged four years, um, which you, which is the amount of time you hope the the Trump presidency will be aged four oh, years. God, I can't um, take it. I one, one alibi question: Would you ever run for office? You want to know my standard answer to that question? No, I want to know your answer for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have no desire or capacity to act that much. Ooh. Uh, would I ever? That's witty. They, yeah, that's, that's witty. witty. That's witty. Uh, the but real answer is... Uh, we don't have to go to commercial, so I'm going to push you in the real answer. <laughs> uh, the real answer is I've seen it a lot up close. Um, uh, the raising of money makes makes my skin crawl. Um, I have kids I'm putting through college. Uh, if, I, if I had, you know, $10 million in the bank, I probably would. I appreciate the, the, the honesty of the both answers. Yeah, okay, good. Both answers. Um, I'm going to hand you back your mic <laughs> so you. I can shake your hand. This was a pleasure. And I, I want to thank you. Yeah, I don't want really to smash for, my little... Uh... You, you have been uh, a really important force on the landscape of our country. You've been a patriot. Well, thank and, you. I, I... And you've educated me and so many other people and inspired so many other people. And I think you are a voice of reason and you're damn fucking talented. Oh, and it's an honor to know you. And I'm grateful for the support that you've given to me and so many other veterans, uh, charities, veterans, leaders, and so many other causes. You do a lot of it behind the scenes. Well, I think your voice has been incredibly uh, more important than I think you, you, you realize um, uh, uh, on these issues and on supporting veterans. Um, so I'm grateful, grateful for that. Uh, I'm, I'm humbled to hear you say that. Grateful you spent so much time here. Thank you for the license plate. <laughs> Which is the first time we've ever had it. But the, the great Bradley Whitford has, has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. You can check the video online at angryamericans.us. Live from the Classic Car Club in New York, this has been an amazing conversation with our friend, uh, the true patriot. I and love a, it. And a great Me American, too, man. Bradley Whitford. Okay. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. In times like these, values matter. How things are made matter. And Oscar Mike... I've told you about before. They are a veteran-owned and American-made lifestyle apparel brand that exists to support veterans. And the Oscar Mike Foundation, which is a 501c3, the goal is simple. Keep veterans on the move in every aspect of life and inspire other people to do the same. Oscar Mike believes that staying active and focusing on that next upcoming goal can empower anyone to realize their full potential. And they want to keep you inspired to do just that. And they do it with some awesome clothes that are also affordable. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, even yoga gear. 
and they have stuff for men and for women. Uh, I told you about the red campaign, the Remember Everyone Deployed. You can check that out if you go to oscarmike.org. And you can also check out the Boulder Hero Sports Tank. And this one is for the ladies who know how to be both wolf and woman. I'm reading this from the website. Both strong and soft, both fire and earth. The OM tank is made with soft and stretchy performance fabric that gives comforting support for the women. Made in the USA and built with pride. You can check that out. You can also check out Oscar Mike. You wouldn't have expected this. Oscar Mike has got yoga capris. Yep. And they look pretty cool. And they say, first you do the yoga, then you do the things. The Oscar Mike yoga capris have proven results of causing extreme motivation. Maybe that's because they're 100% made in America. Maybe it's because every purchase helps an injured veteran get into an adaptive sports program. Either way, you eat goals for protein when you wear them. And they have a hashtag, Namaste. I like that, Namaste. But that's OscarMike.org. One more. This is one of my favorites. The George Washington Tea. Are you a revolutionary? Of course you are. No one will ever think otherwise when you're wearing this modern-day depiction of the original revolutionary, the original angry American, George Washington. It's printed on their ultra-soft, lightweight t-shirt, and as always, it's made in the USA, and it has an American flag assaulting printed on the right sleeve and the Oscar Mike logo on the left sleeve. Uh, now, they have the flag assaulting, meaning it's moving uh, as a flag does in combat with the stars coming first. Another cool aspect of the Oscar Mike stuff. They've also got a tatted up Abraham Lincoln that you should check out with Abe Lincoln printed on the front of another lightweight ultra soft tee, the American flag assaulting on the right sleeve. They have stuff for everybody. And whether you're a CrossFit junkie or a couch potato, these things make a great gift. And they're great if you want to get ready for Veterans Day next month. So go to OscarMike.org. Help support our veterans, help support America, and get some great gear. And tell them that Angry Americans sent you. All right, it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I suggest a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can be impactful Americans also. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and will make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. And there's a lot of inspiration out there if you look for it. Last week, over 30,000 people stepped up to be helpers. In memory of all your brothers, God bless America. Let's start counting down. Let's go. Ready? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Thirty thousand people literally stepped up to support those who stand and defend our laws, our children, and our streets. A couple weeks ago, I told you about Stephen Siller, a New York City firefighter who lost his life on September 11th, and he would have been smiling if he knew that thousands of people were retracing his heroic steps 18 years later. I asked all of you to step up and help, and many of you did. 
in New York City and in runs and walks online and all across the country and all around the world. And in New York, thousands of people participated in the Tunnel to Towers 5K run and walk. It kicked off at 9 a.m. on Sunday at the Brooklyn side of the Hugh L. Carey Tunnel, used to be known as the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. And Stephen Siller's siblings created this event to retrace those final steps of the Staten Islander who strapped on his gear and ran through the tunnel to the Twin Towers, trying to save people on that tragic day. Now, over $50 million has now been raised by the Siller Foundation Tunnel to Towers. And they're going to need it. Because this week, we got some more tragic news. In Texas, Harris County Sheriff's Deputy Sandeep Dhaliwal was shot to death during a traffic stop. Dhaliwal was fatally shot in an ambush-style attack during a routine traffic stop. He was 42 years old, and the first Sikh Sheriff's Deputy in Harris County, which is part of the Gulf region just outside of Houston. It's home to as many as 10,000 Sikhs. And at the service, Simratapal Singh, an army captain, flanked by other members of the Sikh community and military service, described Dhaliwal as humble, fearless, and not dissuaded by negativity. He said, our lion may be gone physically, but his legacy of selfless service and breaking down barriers will continue to live. And we'll also need the Siller Foundation again in New York. Because this week, an NYPD officer was investigating gang activity when he was shot dead in the Bronx. Brian Mokeen was a 33-year-old member of the Bronx Anti-Crime Unit. He was investigating gang activity, including recent shootings with two other officers at about 10.30 a.m. on Sunday. The officers got out of the vehicle to question a guy who then fled, and the officers gave chase. As the cops tried to apprehend the subject, a violent struggle on the ground began, and a New York City Police Department officer with over six years of service was shot dead. Multiple shots were fired, and Mokeen was shot three times. He was pronounced dead at the hospital soon after. The families of these cops are the folks that the Siller Foundation helps. So if you haven't already, please go to tunneltotowers.org and help in any way you can. They'll be there for those who are there for us. Our police are the people who put their lives on the line to protect others and to protect those that uphold the rule of law. The rule of law is critical to the strength of our nation. And the rule of law must be upheld by everyone, including and especially our commander-in-chief. So sometimes being a helper is supporting the helpers, like our cops and our firefighters. Sometimes that means being a fighter. And that means supporting those who are in political fights that protect what those cops and firefighters stand for. And sometimes it means throwing a punch or two. And it means protecting our whistleblowers and getting the facts that Congress and the American people deserve and require. At this moment, we need all the punches we can get, hitting our leaders and pushing them to do the right thing. And right now, that means especially Republican leaders. And the best way to hit them is with other Republicans. Check out ruleoflawrepublicans.com. I played the ad earlier. Republicans for Rule of Law is a group of Republicans that are focused on defending the institutions of our republic and upholding the rule of law. They're fighting to make sure laws apply equally to everyone. From the average citizen to the president of the United States. They're folks who believe in fidelity to the Constitution, transparency, and the independence of prosecutors from politics. Now, Congress must support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, 
That means also protecting our elections. And it means protecting our whistleblowers. A whistleblower from the American intelligence community has tried to alert Congress to an urgent pressing issue, and the Trump administration is stonewalling them. Congress has a duty to see the facts for themselves, and congressional Republicans should not allow the administration to keep these people in the dark. So Republicans for a Rule of Law is a coalition of Republicans that you need to check out. Go to ruleoflawrepublicans.com. It's pretty simple. No man or woman is above the law, or at least they shouldn't be. Not in America, and especially not our president. It's long past time to ensure he does uphold our laws. Check out the website, sign the petition, donate, do what you can. Make our leaders lead. And if they won't, make them pay. And help replace them with leaders who will. That's how you can be a helper. That's how you can take action. That's how you can make a difference. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media using the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active, especially right now. Okay, a couple quick thank yous to some folks who made this episode happen. Bradley Whitford, amazing human being. Watch him. His new show is on NBC. It's called Perfect Harmony. Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. and watch The Handmaid's Tale. If for some reason you haven't seen it yet, take the time to go see it. Consider it part of your civic duty. It's also one of my five favorite shows of all time. In the next episode, maybe I'll go through all five. So go check out Bradley and The Handmaid's Tale. Go check out his new show, Perfect Harmony, and go back and watch some West Wing. Maybe watch it as a family. A big thanks to him for taking the time, especially during such a busy week for him. Thanks also to creative Chris Rosenthal, Roy Velchek, Mighty Mercy Rich, and our whole rock star crew at Righteous Media. They power this show and all the platforms and content around it. That includes the videos that you should check out on our YouTube page, on our Instagram, on Facebook, and everywhere else. Um, Big thanks to Bill Schultz for producing this episode, doing all his sound editing magic and making it sound good and finding all those clips and helping me work it out. Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners, check out all the new designs at angryamericans.us now. They look cool and they make an impact. And it's time for Thank a Listener, where I thank a few angry Americans for listening. I'm bringing it back. All right, first up, Andy Wallace, Davis, California. That's where he lives. He tweets at ACM Wallace. Uh, his bio says he's into photos, music, and sometimes opinions. He tweeted that he listened to two Angry Americans pods over the weekends, Scott Campbell, episode 25, and Dean Kamen, episode 26. Both were great, but Mr. Kamen was truly inspiring and gave me a lot to hope for. Check it out. Thanks, Andy, for checking it out. Lots of great feedback on both those interviews. Scott Campbell, go back and check it out. Dean Kamen, go check it out. Uh, And I want you to check out Wendy L. Smith. My thanks to her. Wendy Smith from the great city of Portland, Maine. One of my favorite cities in America. If you're there, go check out Street & Co. Go get some lobster. Go listen to live music. It's an awesome, awesome city in the winter, in the summer, anytime. But she tweets at Maine Wendy. uh, And her bio just says, I like sharks. Which is good if you live in New England because there's a shitload of sharks all along the Atlantic coast, especially in Cape Cod. I saw that last year. Um, But... She tweeted that she finally got around to listening to the premiere episode of Angry Americans with the incomparable Willie Geist as the guest. With all mad respect to Christina Geist, hearing Willie drop a couple F-bombs, throw in some shits, shot his hotness factor off the charts. 
And she tweeted, P.S., great listen, Angry Americans. Great show this AM, uh, today's show, Willie Geist. Can't wait for next Sunday. Now, Willie, being the great guy that he is, tweeted back a thank you. And so did his wife, Christina, who is equally great. Christina tweeted, ha, this made me smile. Thanks, Wendy. Now, I want to thank Wendy again, and I want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode one with Willie Geist if you haven't already. It's really fun, and it almost ended up happening inside the Polish embassy. But big thanks to Willie, who continues to be a great supporter of this show uh, and of many other causes. And his Sunday show, if you haven't checked it out, is a must. Go check it out. Put it on DVR. Watch it before or after football, and you will be happy that you did. Uh, next up, Daphne Bradshaw from Maryland, Maryland, USA. She tweets it at Laurel Nymph. She is a writer, a poet, a dreamer, and has a blog called The Distilled Essence of Daphne, which I actually checked out. And it includes posts titled The Distilled Essence of Daphne in Love, The Distilled Essence of Daphne on War, The Distilled Essence of Daphne on Wounded Healing. Well, Daphne is a blogger, and she also checked out our last episode with Dean Kamen, and she uh, tweeted, don't celebrate, brace yourself. We have a long way to go and a lot of work to do. Thanks, Paul Rykoff. Well, thank you, Daphne, for checking out the episode with Dean, uh, for supporting this show, and for spreading the word. Uh, and big shout out to everybody down in Maryland. If you're from Maryland and you want to hear a local person in action, go check out the episode with Wes Moore, who grew up in Maryland. Uh, it's a fantastic discussion, and I urge you to check it out. Um, all right, last up, Rob Roy Fitzgerald from Los Angeles, California. He is uh, an actor, a writer, a producer of Two Awesome Boys, and Ms. Secretly Followed By and Following Everyone You Know. I don't know what that actually means. But he tweets at Rob Kim 41 out in L.A. And he said about the Dean Kamen episode, most inspiring podcast yet. And I'm having my 15-year-old biochemist wannabe listen to this. Thank you, Paul and Dean. Uh, I'm really proud of that last episode, getting a ton of great feedback. It's one you should definitely share with your kids if you want to bleep out the cursing or just jump to the interview. But nevertheless, Dean Kamen is an incredible, important, inspiring, iconic American. And if you haven't seen it, go to the angryamericans.us website and watch the video of Dean Kamen and the iBot climbing the stairs. He does a full demo of the iBot, and you can look also inside the car club and see him navigate that place. But please go check it out. Um, and... Speaking of the kids, it's all about the kids. Uh, so I want to thank my kids and my wife. My four-year-old is loving the fall. He recently asked me, speaking of science, he said, Daddy, what makes raindrops? And then he asked me, do lizards know how to swim? I had to Google both. And I definitely now have to start thinking about how to explain to him what the hell impeachment is. And right now he just thinks Trump is like the Grinch. I didn't teach him that. He just came up with it. But he keeps me laughing, and we're all going to need some laughs and perspective in the next few months. So I'm very, very thankful to my wife and my boys. And finally, my deepest thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. We're getting tons of great reviews. If you're on an Apple device, please leave the show a quick review. And check out angryamericans.us. It continues to be improved weekly. You can check out the video section for a very cool one-minute videos. You can share them on social media. Um, use the hashtag Angry Americans, and maybe I'll thank you in a future episode. And definitely keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And I have a new way to hear you. We have a new Angry Americans phone line. Yes, you, you, you right there 
you can call in and tell us what's got you angry. And I'll make you famous. Yep, I'll make you famous. Call 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-332-6479. You can call, leave us a voicemail, and tell me what's got you angry. And maybe we'll use it on a future show. We're going to give us a shot and see where it takes us. So let them fly, people. Leave your messages. That's 1-833-33-ANGRY. And next week, I will be back with a fresh new show. Another leader from the creative world will be joining us. One of a very different kind and one that you might know and will definitely love. So subscribe now and have it hot and fresh waiting for you Thursday morning at O Dark 30. That's 0301 Eastern Time. That's just after midnight for you West Coasters. And it's just in time for your Thursday commute to work. And until then, stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we will keep this movement growing week by week. And remember, it's okay to be angry. You're not alone. We're all a little angry. And that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. And like June said, don't let the bastards get you down. <laughs>